Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 170 of the Quickie Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and thanks so much for being here. This is part one of my interview with this guest, so let's get to the intro. My guest today is Sean Adams. He is currently the chair of the graphic design program at Art Center College of Design in Pasadena, California. He was previously the founding partner at Adams Morioka for over 20 years. He also has two terms under his belt as the AIGA national president, and he is a published author. Let's just say Sean's been in the design game for a while, and he knows his stuff. During part one of this interview, we talk about his transition from agency life to now full-time teaching and leading the next generation of designers. He also tells us stories about how his parents were very sort of free-spirited and wanted to him to get into the arts and go that route, but he rebelled against it and wanted to do what his grandparents originally wanted, which was for him to become a senator. Obviously, we know he got into the design game, so he explains how that all went down. We also talk about the book that really opened his eyes to design and the designer that was really influential to him. And also the first phone call that they received when they opened the agency doors. And this is a cool one. We also get into a project that he did with Mohawk Paper that actually turned out to be the most expensive and complicated marketing project they have ever done but it got results, and he shares that story with us. So let's let Sean do some talking now. Let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest, Sean Adams. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Good morning, Sean. How are you today? I'm good. How about you? Doing great. Thanks so much for making time to be on the show. Glad to, always. So I first have to ask, are you ready for a quickie? I am. Perfect. Always. Yeah, most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) So I like to start with a really, really hard question here. Briefly tell the listeners about yourself. Okay. Um, I am uh, currently the chair of undergraduate and graduate graphic design at Art Center College of Design in Pasadena. Um, Previously, I served two terms as the AIJ national president Um, I am an author of many books, um, working on one right now, which has got me incredibly nervous. Um, I do, um, courses for LinkedIn learning Mm -hmm. and, um, I was a partner at Adams Morioka for, um, 22 years. Perfect. Okay. That's like an incredible, that just like wrapped it all up in a nice little bow here. So 22 years ago, you were in sort of the design game for profit. You were working in the agency life, the studio life. Right. So what made you switch to the education and promotion of, you know, the community, you know, a community mentor should say? Well, you know, that's a great question. The, 
<clears throat> I think, you know, I'd always considered, you know, being, being part of the community was just part of the job. And, yes. you know, in terms of AIJ, you know, I, from the time I was in college, you know, I was working the front table, taking tickets at events, um, that it was, it was just something you did. It was given. And I started teaching, I think when I was about 24 years old, um, I was working, um, as the design director for April Griman and, <clears throat> I got a call from Art Center and they said, can you come up and teach type? And April was great and was like, yeah, take the afternoon, go and do that. Cool. Um, of course, the kids in the class were more were older than I was. And so <laughs> I think one of them at one point said, why am I listening to you? <laughs> like, I don't know, actually. That's a good question. Kids, they're um, so graceful. <laughs> so graceful. And then, um, you know, for, you know, after, after we started out of Marioka and you know, I'd, I'd always sort of taught one class a term, like, you know, either here at Art Center or at CalArts. Mm -hmm. And um, that was fine. You know, I was able to take an afternoon and, and go and do that. And um, probably about, I think it was about 15 years ago, 10 years in, um, I said, I, I'm going to teach a couple of classes. Um, and then that moved into three classes which really is just a day and a half. Mm -hmm. And okay, it means you have to work a little on the weekends and, and make up. But, um, it, you know, I just really enjoyed it and, and it, it always felt like invigorating and inspiring and, you know, like, like I was actually making a difference. Um, now I know like in, in, you know, agency life, you know, the work you're doing is making a difference. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's like, I might not be working for Greenpeace, but if I do a good job for my client, they keep their job, mm -hmm. they put braces on their kids, they send yeah. them to college, everything works pretty well. Mm -hmm. Um, but with education, you could kind of see it firsthand. It was like right there, right then. You could notice the light yeah. going with someone. And um, and then it just, you know, that sort of snowballed into, I'm really feeling like at a certain point in my life, it was time to take care of other people and not myself. Not that I don't take care of myself, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll still do that. Speaking about quickies, but, um, you know, <laughs> the, the idea was that I, I could I could continue on the agency path and, make money and do well. But yeah. in the end, I'd done that. And, yeah. and I think it was, you know, after at the 20 year mark, I just said, I think I want to really dedicate the second part of my career to, to others, to, to students in education and trying to help form, you know, the profession mm -hmm. um, in some of the directions I think we need to be going. So that's great. So it was really not a, I'm out of that and I'm now into that. It was more of a slower transition. And then you just hit a point in your career where you were more fulfilled by one than the other. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I and mean, I, you know, every, I think everyone has that point. I mean, I don't, you know, I have a lot of friends that sort of in the similar mode have said, how can I do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, Sean, I'm going to kick it back even further now, and uh -huh. I'm going to go right back to childhood. I want to hear okay. what your childhood was like, and if you feel that you had a creative childhood that sort of pointed you in this career path. I, you know, oddly enough, when I was a child, I would have said absolutely no. There was nothing creative about it at all. Mm -hmm. However, there was. Um, <clears throat> my my childhood was... Um, uh, I'm trying to, the, the positive term for it would be chaotic. Mm -hmm. um, my parents were were deep into the counterculture, and um, we lived in San Francisco in the Haight-Ashbury district um, from 66 to 1970, so mm -hmm. throughout the summer of love. And um, my, um, my, my, one of my first memories is actually having to get up in the middle of the night and leave the, 
leave our um, flat because there was a fire upstairs in the flat above us that was actually being rented by um, the guys from Big Brother and the Holding Company, which was Janis Joplin's band. Oh, my god! And they had started a bong fire. So um, my parents (laughs) had to try to explain to me what a bong fire was. And um, so it was it was things were happening all the time. You know, Mm. it was sort of one of my grandmother's um, cousins was actually one of the um, programmers of the summer of love. He was the, he was a psychic astrologer who programmed that was the time to do it. (laughs) (laughs) So I was surrounded by these like, you know, jazz musicians and artists and, Mm -hmm. and all the, all of my parents wackadoodle friends completely rebelled against it. You know, I think like my mom said, no, you refused to wear jeans. You just insisted you had to have trousers and you, you know, I was like, I'm nothing like those people. And I'm going to, I'm going to do what my grandparents want, which would be to grow up and be a Senator. And um, so it was, it was interesting that, that it was sort of, you know, 18 years later when it was time to start figuring out what to do with life that I'm like, I'll go down a creative path. You know, <laughs> if you'd asked me that when I was 12, I'd be like, absolutely not. No way, no way, no way. But, um, but I think it did help sort of mold things. Okay. So now we know that you didn't actually pursue the Senator path. No. What was the moment where that design or creative switch was flicked for you? Was it, an, I know a teacher influence or what was it that flicked that switch for you? Um, you know, that's, a, that's, an, that's another good question. These are really good. I, I, um, my grandparents had always sort of stressed, okay, this is, this is your goal. In fact, you know, they said we haven't had a Senator in the family for a couple of generations. Um, <laughs> so you this know, wasn't it, a figure of speech, like literally they wanted you to become a Senator. Oh yeah. They would have aimed higher. If, <laughs> oh, if, yeah. Awesome. They were, believe me there. I mean, the last person in the family that was in politics ran for, for president in 52 and 56. And wow. so they like, that was a long time ago. It's time mm-hmm. to get back in the game. Um, and and I, I, I actually remember going to my interview at Harvard and, and like totally like, well, yeah, whatever, it'll, it'll be fine. And when the, the, the woman who was doing the interview with me asked me, well, what, what would you major in? And at first I said, oh, I guess, you know, political science. And, and she said, okay, what would be a minor? I said, oh, graphic design. And she said, well, we don't have graphic design. I'm like, oh, I can't go here then. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> and, <laughs> And I, I think I had I had started in high school about my sophomore year designing posters, and it was it was somebody noticed oh you can kind of draw badly, so we need a poster for the spring concert, um, <laughs> and I'm like I can do that, and then it was okay we need a poster for the for the um, the musical or the the drama class play or homecoming design all that kind of stuff. So throughout high school, I just ended up doing like tons of graphic design. I, mm-hmm. in my senior year, I had like two periods where I, that was devoted just to design. And I was doing things like designing school stationery and the city seal and just, you know, churning stuff out. Um, so it just seemed like a logical step um, at the time when you're 18 and you think, yeah, this will be great. I can do this. Now, yeah. there are times in life, believe me, when, when things have been rough, when I've been like, why the heck did I not go to Harvard and become a senator? <laughs> yes. My gosh. Yeah. That's like, it's almost, you know, when I've interviewed people and they've had parents that are very, very, very supportive with the, you know, the academic route, doctor, lawyer, like you should be going this route saying, I'm going to be a graphic designer is like a complete 
like almost like you're punching them in the face. Right. Yeah. When you're just trying to pursue something that makes you feel good. Right. So I imagine there was that sort of similar exchange with your grandparents where you're like, actually, I'm going to be graphic designer. Yeah. And of course, the biggest problem is you can't describe what it is. You know, you're trying to explain what you want to do. And they're like, I don't understand. What? So an artist? An artist? I'm like, no, I don't want to be an artist. I want to be, you know, what, you you make logos? I'm like, yeah, I would design logos. But don't machines do that already? (laughs) (laughs) They had no idea. And and in fact, I think when I went off to school, they never could learn where I went. They couldn't couldn't remember where I was at school. I went to CalArts and they kept saying, telling their friends I was at Cal Poly. I'm like, I'm not a Cal Poly. I'm not a scientist. (laughs) (laughs) Was keeping up appearances, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Love it. So in all of this journey, Sean, what stands out to you as the most influential design of your life so far? Something that you saw and just has stuck with you since? Uh, That's a really good question. Um, Strangely enough, and uh, someone asked me this, um, a student asked me this a couple weeks ago, and they were really sort of stuck on something. And and, and they said, "Uh, what what turned the light on for you? Like what really made you understand like design in a, in a mm-hmm. different way? And, um, you know, in high school, there really wasn't anything. We had one book in the library, which was on Nazi propaganda. So nice. everything we did in high school looked like Nazi propaganda. <laughs> yes. Um, and it wasn't until I think it was my first year of, of school at, at, at CalArts that, Somebody gave me Joan Didion's book, Play It As It Lays. Okay. And it totally changed the way I thought about design, which sounds crazy because it's literature. But it, it was written so sparsely and so clearly. Every word was, was well considered. There was nothing extraneous at all. And all of a sudden, that's what design seemed like it could be to me. The, the you know, the work. I could really, it wasn't about decoration. It wasn't about making anything pretty. It was mm-hmm. about extraordinarily purposeful moves um, and trying to, to do the most with the least amount. Um, yes. But it was that book that just really changed, you know. It, it, it's an amazing book. I mean, play it as it is. It's, it's beautifully written. But um, that really, that, that was the watershed for me, was, was definitely like digging into that and, and recognizing every sentence had it was perfectly constructed. So that was the book. Yeah. Nothing, nothing extra in there at all. And then after that, I'm like, I got to get rid of all this extra stuff. Like I don't need any of it. Mm -hmm. Perfect. So Sean, in the role that you're in now, you're surrounded by students. You're helping them learn and grow and become better creatives. You have 22 plus years in the agency life, you know, surrounded by great designers and being a great designer yourself. Thanks. Now in this position, where you are now, who are some of the designers and brands that you look up to now and closely follow? And what about them do you like? Well, I mean, there's so many designers that I, 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 I wish I were more discerning. I probably mm-hmm. should be more snobby about this, <laughs> but there's so much good design out there. And, and I'm, I mean, I'm so many people that I consider friends, I just think are remarkable designers. And I'm, blown away all the time by something they've created. Um, and it's, it doesn't have to be what I do. It's, there's, you know, certainly work out there that someone does that is nothing like I do, but uh-huh. it's just genius. And so I, I try to keep my mind open and, and um, allow for different points of view. Um, uh, Saul Bass was a huge influence on me. Uh-huh. Um, Saul was 
such a great guy. And I mean, he's an amazing designer, clearly, right? You know, it's like you look at something like the Psycho title sequence and it's so minimal and strong and amazing. But as a human being, he was so generous mm -hmm. and so kind. Um, you know, when, when, you know, we opened the firm, the very first phone call, the, I mean, the, the day we opened the phone rings for the first time and it was Saul. And, oh, and he said, what can I do for you? Congratulations. And, and I was like, you know, you didn't have to do that. Like theoretically I'm competition now. What of course it was, and you know, like, you know, 29 year old, like goofball, but, um, <laughs> you know, he, he, and you know, he said, well, I don't want anything but advice, I, you know? And, and so, you know, I, I'd, I'd, you know, talk to him on the phone or have lunch with him like every couple of weeks. And he, he'd just be like, Hey, hire a business manager more expensive than you can have. Do you think you can afford or never say no to a client? I mean, just great advice all the time. Mm -hmm. So that really helped me understand um, that as you mature as a designer, mm -hmm. you have the option of getting cranky and bitter, or you can be open to new things and help people that are coming up behind you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you got to send the elevator back down. And I love that saying. I just, Saul was like, I mean, he was, he was a real mensch and I mean, such a good guy. Um, and then there's so many other people that have had such a huge impact, you know, just in my own career, like people like Michael Vanderbilt or Michael Beirut, um, mm. or, or my friend Paul Asher, who's like a remarkable designer. And again, one of the most generous people you'll ever meet. <laughs> so it's a lot of times it has to do, I think, not only with the work they're doing, which is sort of a given, it's going to yep. be great. It's sort of mm -hmm. like wheels on a car. You expect it. But as human beings, they're such remarkable people and, and so caring and committed um, to the profession and to other designers. And mm -hmm. that's, that, that's what impresses me. That's when I, when, you know, if I'm out there and I'm speaking at a conference and, you know, I talk to like someone who's, you know, the president of the, you know, the AJ chapter in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and they're so on top of it and mm -hmm. so in there and just like everybody on, in, on that team is like curtain stuff around and doing events and they're not doing it for money or glory. And it's just like, that's remarkable. Like mm -hmm. the, that sense of commitment and it's the thing that keeps the profession alive and um and keeps us not shooting to the middle but always like rising to the top so mm -hmm. yeah that's probably a long-winded way of no and it's great and it actually brought up a, another question that i thought of yours you know the names you mentioned you know paula share saul bass some of these other right. brilliant creatives you know the thing that you've said about both of them is the generosity and that they're just great humans yeah so do you think that that is a core attribute to um, a legacy in design, to having a legacy in design? I would hope so. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are some designers that are complete a-holes. But um, <laughs> I've often wondered, you know, I've heard stories about like, oh, well, you know, so-and-so was a total jerk in real life. But so rarely, if yeah. anything, you know, when I... I was talking to Jessica Elfin last week about um, um, uh, Paul Rand and, and she, you know, she had studied with Paul and, and she was like, you know, he was cranky, but he was, a, he was always there and just mm -hmm. a great guy um, or, or Herbert Matter or these amazing designers at the core. They just turned out to be like just really good people that were fun to be around and had good stories Um I mean, you know, you probably have the same experience, like when you're when you're doing interviews with people that that I always find like some of the best people are the nicest yes. and the and the easiest to get along with, and 
And the ones that are difficult or, you know, maybe a little negative tend to be those that I don't know if I'd want to hang out with. Mm -hmm. And, and I think it, you know, when like a student will come up to me and they'll say, well, I'm going to graduate. Should I, should I join the local AIJ chapter of whatever city I'm moving to? And I'm like, yes, do that. You need to do it. 100%. And they're like, yeah, but I got all, I don't have enough time. I'm like, yes, you do. And, and it actually shows a commitment. It shows a commitment to your employer. It shows it to the, to your clients mm-hmm. that you are willing to be engaged and part of something bigger, yes. that you're not just so myopic and sitting, you know, in your office, not caring about the society as a whole. So mm-hmm. So maybe that's part of it is just that willingness to see the big picture. I love that and how you sort of spin it. You know, it's not only to your benefit for connecting with like-minded creatives and mentors and things like that, but it does. It shows your clients. It shows your your employer dedication to the trade and sort of design and creative the greater good of that. Not exactly. Not just the, the ex, you know you excelling in your personal career. It's an and it's an investment. It's an investment, and and it doesn't have to be IGA. You know, mm-hmm. it can be like what you're doing. It can be a, it gets, you know, I mean, you you dedicate an enormous amount of time to this. You don't mm-hmm. have to. I'm sure that you can find much more fun things to do, but you do, and that makes a difference. Or mm-hmm. if if you know you're teaching or any of those things, that your clients notice that they see it. You know, they may not come up with you and say, "I hire you specifically because of this," mm-hmm. but but it's just part of the overall package that sets you apart from others. So true. So true. All right, Sean, I want to now chat about print and packaging. And Mm -hmm. I want to hear how you have utilized print in your design career and any stories around it of projects that stand out to you or that you still remember um, being a part of. I mean, you know, for the first part of my career was all print. Mm -hmm. It was, um, you know, my my very first job was working at the New York Public Library, which was a fantastic job. I loved that that job. And it was all books and catalogs and exhibition Mm -hmm. materials and you know, although every, you know, we design exhibitions for the, for the, um, research libraries also, but it was a lot of print. And back then a lot of it was letterpress. I mean, they were yes. old school, which was great, you know, type total, like type boot camp. But, um, I did that for a long time. And, and then, you know, at Adams Morioka, we, we did, you know, probably half of it was print and half of it was screen-based mm-hmm. media. But, but I love print. I always thought like, if I, if I stopped being a designer, I'd be a press supervisor. I just love, <laughs> yeah. I just loved getting in there and being like, okay, I don't know. It's, let's, this is looking a little hot. Let's pull the magenta or yeah. try flipping the plate or, you know, I love that technical stuff. Um, I was working on a project for Mohawk paper mm-hmm. and the, um, at the beginning of the of job, they said, you know, all the other work you've done for us is great, but we, we you know, it'd be great if you could pull out some more bells and whistles on this one because we really want to show off what the paper can do. And, you're, you know, your work tends to be pretty minimal. And I'm like, okay, I can figure that out. And uh, it, was a, it was a big um, promotion for uh, Mohawk Via. By the time it was done, it turned out to be the most expensive and complicated job in Mohawk's history. <laughs> which amazing. I was very proud of. <laughs> like, I did it. It was, I think we had 37 different forms to run um, wow. on 37 different papers. It took two weeks. Um, I was at a printer in Dallas seven days a week, wow. 24 hours a day for two weeks. And Holy cow. It, you know how it goes. You're like, you do one press check. They're like, okay, next one will be up in three hours. And I'm like, yeah, you guys get to go home. I don't. I'm just like one after the other. Yeah. It was great. I actually love doing that. And 
you know, the strange thing is when you do get on a weird cycle like that, you don't know when to change your clothes. You sort of get <laughs> sort of like, it's not a new day. At what point? And I'm like, I think I'll base this on smell. <laughs> now it's time to change my clothes. And um, just, you know, eating at strange hours. But that that was a that was a great practice. I loved doing that thing. And, and you know, anytime I had a real challenge like that, the, the better. I love that. It turned out to be the most expensive in their history. That's fantastic. <laughs> at the end of the job, they said, oh, you know, Via accounts for about 25% of our business. I'm like, oh, great. So if this tanks, I take you down. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Glad you told me that after. That's yeah, perfect. Yeah, you afterwards, yeah. <laughs> it did work. Actually, I think they said that after it was launched, it bumped up to 35% of the business. Oh, perfect. Mission accomplished. Thanks, yeah. So the next few questions I have take you down part of your career where you've likely made some mistakes, learned mm-hmm. some lessons, and I'm really excited to pull those stories out of you. Those are always ones you never want to talk about, right? No, like, exactly. I have to drag you through the mud a little bit here. Yeah, that's good. I like that. <laughs> that's not a mistake. I don't like flawless one. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I really appreciate it. Part two of this interview goes up tomorrow. So we'll see you then. Bye. <laughs>